This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I want to jump right into the word this morning. Uh, If you guys have been tracking with us over the last few weeks, we just wrapped up a three-part series called Audacious Prayers, where we broke down three different prayers that we pray on an everyday basis, or God asks us and requires us from a very biblical standpoint, prayers that we pray and ask God for that God answers for sure. There's a 100% guarantee, a return, uh, you know, answer, or uh, uh, an answer that comes to you in some form or the other, where you ask God for, uh, for, 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 you know, when you ask God to search you, when you ask God to lead you, when you ask God, say, when you look at God and say, God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Those three prayers that we considered, and it was a, an amazing series, so if you missed it, uh, go back and watch it on our YouTube channel. We have a podcast, so make sure you catch up on that. But today, what we want to do is we want to get into our, uh, our, our Advent series, and in a moment, I'll break that down for you. But uh, we've been doing this ever since we launched this church three years ago. And it's something that we hold dear to our hearts because of our need for each and every person sitting here to understand what the Advent truly means. Uh, I want to title this sermon series, even though it's a, it's, it's a three-part that will kind of end with a grand finale on Christmas Eve. We have a Christmas Eve service here, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, make sure you're here. Uh, we'll, we'll end with that. So kind of like a four-part series, but three main Sundays that we'll talk about this, and then we'll conclude on Christmas Eve. Uh, but we'll title this series, The Greatest Gift. The Greatest Gift gift. The things that God looked at us and he said, hey, this is what I'm giving you through my son, Jesus Christ. And I want to trade with you. I want to trade places with you. I want to trade events with you, opportunities with you. I want to, and over the next, the course of the next three weeks, we'll understand what God took from us in order to give his son to us. And this morning, I want to talk about the, the topic, God with us, God with us. Go with me to Matthew chapter number one and verse number 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And this is what the Bible says. And you can follow with whatever translation you have. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to look up on the screen and we'll be bringing the verses up there. If you don't have a Bible, come, come meet one of us and we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. But uh, you can pull out your iPhones, your iPads, whatever uh, device you have your Bibles in and you can follow with us. And this is what the Bible says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And what did the prophet speak in verse 23? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Verse 24, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I want to give you a quick backdrop of these verses that we just read. See, the context of these verses is the impending arrival of the promised Messiah or what we will call today, or what, we have, what, what the church has historically referred to as the advent. The word advent simply means coming or arrival. Look at the person sitting next to you and say coming or arrival. The term advent may or may not make sense to you, depending upon uh, what church you probably grew up in. Right? If you grew up in a Catholic or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or an Anglican church, you can easily identify with this term as the beginning of Advent, which is four Sundays before Christmas. All right? uh, the church, their church liturgical calendars, they begin with a celebration of Advent. And it involves the lighting of the symbolic candles Sunday after Sunday that surround the various themes of Jesus' birth. In a non-liturgical church like ours, in a non-denominational, spirit-filled, Bible-based, full gospel church like ours, we don't necessarily observe the Advent in the same way, all right? For beginners, four Sundays before Christmas was last Sunday, and of course, we were wrapping up our series on audacious prayers. For us non-liturgical churches, we're used to the concept of Christmas in, uh, in, in carols and plays and maybe the, putting up a Christmas tree and decorations and all of that. And some of y'all probably didn't even have that. Some of y'all pr were probably taught that Christmas was wrong and uh, it, it was heathen and, and you shouldn't put up a tree or, uh, you know, carols were wrong and Christmas songs were wrong. Close your ears when Christmas songs come on. Uh, uh, partly that was me. Uh, my, my sister and I loved Christmas, and we, we did celebrate Christmas as a family, but uh, we were so conscious about the church that we grew up in, which was very religious, and, and the church, the, we, would, we would be allowed to put up decorations, but decorations that could come down. Now, now, let me explain for a second what that means, okay? We would be allowed to put streamers, all right, in our house, and uh, colorful streamers, and we would put uh, a string that had all the Christmas cards that were sent to us, all right? Now, this this was back when the Christmas cards were like twofold. Like now they come in like one, you know, piece of paper with a baby's face on it, right? And they're like, happy, happy Christmas or Merry Christmas, you know, joy to the world. Like back in the day they did the two, you know what I'm talking about, right? So we would hang those cards from the string and the condition that my dad put to us was you could have those up as long as pastor doesn't visit our house. All right? Now, this is weird. I know for some of you, you're like, what? what does that mean? Okay, that's how serious it was. All right? For us, it was as long as you guys know pastor is house visiting, you, you, guys, you guys can have it all week. But if pastor says, I'm coming to your house, you better get ready to pull all those decorations down because pastor doesn't like Christmas. You're like, what kind of church did you go to? Meet me after service, I'll tell you. So why is the concept of the Advent central to the Christian faith? This is so important for us to understand. See, the Advent season is a theologically enriching way in which we as a church can attempt to have a meaningful conversation about the Christmas message. And this is a conversation that we need to have, uh, we need to have within the church, that we need to have within our families. 
See, Advent is a biblical approach to address and talk about what Christians truly should be celebrating Christmas for. See, allow me to break this down for us, right? Set this scene for us. We read this amazing passage in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, you know, or in Matthew, and in Luke chapter 1, if you go there, uh, in the account of Luke, uh, Mary's around 13 to 14 years old. She's this teenage girl. All right, and, and back in the day, teenage girls were betrothed to be married to, to men around that age. As soon as they, they hit that age of 13, as soon as they became teenagers, they were committed to get into marriage. Now, once the couple was engaged, they would wait a period of one year for them to then get prepared or for them to get prepared individually, themselves, and also the preparations to be done for the families to raise the money. All of those things had to happen in order for the wedding to happen. So it's this time between the engagement of the wedding that Mary finds out that she is pregnant, right? The angel appears to Mary and says, the Lord is with you. Emmanuel, he looks at her and says, Emmanuel, God is with you. Like Mary's super confused and Mary's like this teenage girl. She's like, huh? What, what, like, what are you talking about? And, 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 and the angel starts breaking it down for Mary. And the angel says, man, you will have a baby and you're going to name him Jesus. And Mary's like, man, how can that be? She's like, I don't know. Like, I've never had sexual intercourse with a man. I'm a virgin, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit is what, is what the angel is saying. The angel is looking and saying, yeah, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you're going to have a baby. Okay, that sounds cool. Right, that sounds amazing, right? Uh, you would expect Mary to be like, all right, if, if the Holy Spirit said so. This is a teenage girl that we're talking about. This is a little girl who does not know what's going on around her. And the angel's looking at her and saying, by the power, I have good news for you this morning. By the power of the Holy Spirit, anything is possible. Amen. If Mary could have a child as a virgin, the power of the Holy Spirit is in this place, is in your lives. Every born again believer and Christian has the power inside of him that the Holy Spirit gives to make the impossible possible. So Mary says, okay, cool. I'm not going to doubt it. If you say, God, that the, 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 the Son of God is inside of me, I'm cool with that. All right? So we're all cool. They're planning their wedding. Mary and Joseph, they're planning the wedding. And one day they're on date night. All right? They're sharing a pizzuki, right, in BJ's uh, in a restaurant. And, and she looks into Big Joe's eyes and, and says, hey, boo. I have some good news. I'm pretty sure he goes, what's up, sugar muffin? <laughs> They're having this very intimate conversation, right? They're looking eye to eye, and, and he's probably like wondering, okay, she's probably going to tell me. She, the good news is that she's said yes to the dress. She's picked the floor. She's picked the caterer. I don't have to plan anything like every guy's dream, right? She's, he's waiting for her to break that news to him, but she drops the bomb, and she says, I'm pregnant. What? Yeah, right? Like, that's what I said too, right? I said the same thing. Like, and, and Joseph's like, who's the dad? Like, that's what I want to know. And Mary goes, babe, you won't believe this, but it's God. <laughs> like, like, you won't believe this. Like, like, it is God. Who? Like, it's this episode of Maury, right? In the making. Like, have you ever seen Maury? Like, y'all good. Y'all don't see Maury. You know what I'm talking about. When I first moved to America... All right, in 2000, let me tell you this. Let me, let me stop. When I first moved to America, my favorite show was Maury. Two o'clock to three o'clock, two episodes back to back, I would sit and I would watch Maury. 
and then I got a real job. <laughs> so it was like, Maury, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll be, we'll be here to find out who is the father. Is it Carpenter Joe or is it God Almighty? There is confusion around. Joe's like, man, what's going on over here? Never have I ever heard of God impregnating a woman. And, and, and you of all people? And Joe was a good man, man. Joseph was a good, good man. The Bible says Joseph doesn't want to humiliate her by getting her stoned because back in that culture, if there's a woman that was betrothed to a man to get married to a man, and if that woman had, had, had a, an affair outside of that betrothal, outside of that engagement, the culture called for that woman to be put to shame publicly and for that woman to be stoned by the whole community. All right? But he is a good man. He was a good Jew who had learned everything. And he said, you know what? No, I, I don't want to humiliate her, but I want to make sure that I divorce her quietly. So the angel, angel appears to him in a dream while he's thinking about this, while he's planning this, while he's scheming this. The angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, I want to tell you something, buddy. Whatever she told you is true. He says, don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry about it. Don't divorce her. Don't go through with it. I'm the God that's going to be with you. That same message that he conveys to Mary is a message that he conveys to Joseph and says, I will be with you. Now what Joseph is reminding himself is of all the, 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 the literature in the Old Testament that he's been taught, that he has read in the Bible, that he's been trained in, in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. He thinks about this time where the Bible says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. He had once got a written word from God. There was this word that he was reading and reading and reading and reading. And man, all the Jews were expecting this advent to happen. They were expecting this Messiah to come. They were expecting the Savior of the world to come through virgin birth. And everything that he was hearing verbally was now an oral word directly from the mouth of God saying, Joseph, out of your, come on somebody, it is through your family, it is through your wife that the Son of God is going to be born he had so much of confidence inside of him why in my heart I feel it's because of that one phrase Joseph I am with you Emmanuel I am with you I want to remind somebody today no matter what circumstance you're going through no matter what impossibility you're going through this morning if God is with you who can be against you I want to remind somebody no matter what impossible situation might threaten your very existence it could be a job it could be a children it doesn't matter when God is on your side no devil no Satan no power of darkness stands a chance against you in the name of Jesus the specific, the specific confidence that Joseph had was because he felt that God was with them. He knew God was with Mary. He knew God was with him. And he said, you know what? If this is your plan, God, we're going to go through the, with this. So this is the foundation where we're, we're working from. All right. Often the culture, you know, that we're in defines Christmas by certain parameters. What are these parameters, right? The tree. It could be the decorations, the holidays, kids are off from school. It could be shopping or the gifts under the tree. It could be all the food that we eat. 
Santa Claus and everything else. Now, it's not to belittle Christmas and the flair of the season, but the question that you and I need to keep asking every single day, every single moment of our existence is what is the real reason for Jesus Christ being born? The birth of Jesus, Christmas. It's to celebrate the birthday of Jesus, right? I mean, you would think so, right? No one celebrates the birthday of a dead person, right? We think about that person. We only celebrate birthdays of people that are alive, correct? Like, think about it. The reason for, for Christians to celebrate Christmas is because Jesus that we worship, this God that we worship is not a dead God. He's a God that is alive. And that is why year after year, we take moment. It's not that December 25th is, an exact, is the exact day that Jesus was born. It wasn't. It was another time. But we take this season to remind ourselves that we celebrate not a baby that was born once upon a time 2,000 years ago. We celebrate the birthday. We celebrate the reason. We celebrate the coming, the arrival of the Messiah in 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 in. in body form when this when this when this godhead came down in the form of a baby we celebrate that fact that he is with us and not just that he was with them at that point in time but he continues to be with us till this day but what do we do culture often takes the place of that imagine this it's your birthday right you have a party you invite your friends and your family to the party come on let's let's get together let's have a dinner the doorbell rings, right? You open the door and they're all smiling, just standing there. It's your birthday. Yay, it's my birthday. They come in, they sit around, they start eating the food. They sing happy birthday to you. They say, it's your birthday. He's like, yeah, it's my birthday. Y'all excited that it's your birthday. And then they get all their presents out and they give them to one another. Like, what, is that, what does that remind us of? Like, who does that? We. Like, gift giving has become a part of this Christmas culture. The example of the fake presents outside our house or in, in our yard or, or that right there. There's nothing in there. Amazon boxes with some fancy covering. They did a great job, by the way. It looks amazing. But for a lot of us, Christmas is exactly like that because we use the stuff of the world to fill us and to, to define what Christmas really means to us. See, Christmas will be meaningless and empty if we don't understand the power of the greatest gift that was given to the human race. And his name is Jesus. And he's not somebody that just existed or was born 2,000 years ago. But the reason we celebrate Christmas is that we don't celebrate the birthday of a dead child. We celebrate God with us. His name is Emmanuel. And that is a reminder that the Christian world needs today is that we serve a living God. A God that not only came in, in the form of a baby but he is with us today in the midst of everything that we do why is this the greatest gift that God is with us let me break it down three things one because it was a promised gift it was a promised gift see the word advent means coming or arrival like I said see Christmas in its truest sense is this reminder of the coming of Jesus Christ in human form the coming of the Messiah, the one that everybody was waiting for. Like we read in Isaiah 9 about the people that were waiting for the Messiah. 
And this is the word Isaiah is sending to the people of Israel, saying, guys, I know y'all are waiting for the Messiah. We've been in slavery. We've been under bondage for so many years, and we're waiting for a person to come and save us from all that we're going through. And, and this is tiresome, but I want to promise you that a person that is greater than Moses, there is a king that is coming. The prophets started prophesying about it. And the more and more we think about it, the more and more the Old Testament was a foreshadow. It kept telling us the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The people wanted to see this Messiah. The people wanted to see who this Messiah was. They wanted to know what this Messiah had in store for them. What was different about this person? Was this person going to bring any change? Was there anything that was going to happen that was going to be different? Were their lives going to be changed and transformed? And the answer to all of that was yes, something was about to happen. Gone were the days that God was going to be just a person that was there or they couldn't talk to or they couldn't meet. It was going to be deeper than that. It was going to be bigger than that. It was going to be mightier than that. He was a promised gift. See, it is our duty as Christians to add some biblical foundation to this season. See, the Advent is both the first coming and also the second coming of Jesus. The reason we celebrate Advent or the reason we celebrate Christmas is not just to celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago, but the first Advent always has to give way to the second Advent that is soon going to come. The reason I celebrate Christmas and the reason that I love Christmas so much is because not of the fact that what, I love the fact that God sent his son, but the, the, the more joyous thing is that one day he's going to come back for us, his bride. He's going to come take us with him. And that is what excites me. This last week, we put out all our decorations in our yard. And uh, last year, I made this, uh, made this manger, this this. This, this manger out of uh, some pallets, some wood pallets that I had lying around and I broke them down, took all the nails off and made this, this is sort of like this crib, this manger. And we put some hay in it and as soon as the girls saw it this year, the girls looked at me and said, Daddy, where's the baby? Michaela said, where's the baby? And I said, baby, we're not, we're, we're not gonna put a baby in there. And they said, why? What, what about Jesus. I said, I mean, you could go get a baby, but I'm not going to leave the baby in there. I mean, we're going to take the baby out. They said, what color, Je what color Jesus should we get? Should we get a white Jesus? Should we get a brown Jesus? Because they have colors, all colored babies, right, in the house. So they want to know which color. And I was like, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Like, you could go put the baby, and the baby was in there for a few minutes, and I took it out. Because I wanted to communicate to them that what we're celebrating is, for me, that empty, that empty crib, that empty manger is so much more important because that builds my anticipation it gets me excited that that Jesus that once was in that manger is now with his father. But the promise is that I am coming. I am coming back for you. I am coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. I'm, he's coming back for me. And that is what's exciting. That one day my Jesus will come back. And that is the advent that I'm super excited about, church. You know, it's both a celebration and an anticipation. Celebration because his arrival as a Messiah was something that was celebrated. It was great. It was amazing. It was phenomenal. Everybody was excited about it. There was pomp and valor. Everybody was super excited and there was celebration. But for me, standing at this point in my life, more than celebration, it's anticipation of Jesus coming back on those clouds to take us back with him. 
But between that advent and this advent is this period of time we have the promise of Emmanuel. It is the greatest miracle because there is a promise associated with this miracle. Come on, somebody. There is a promise associated with this miracle that says, man, I am with you. I have never left. I will be with you. When Jesus left, he looked at each one of us and said, I am leaving, but I will send my Holy Spirit to be with you. The power of the Holy Spirit is in this place. What a comfort that is. The second point is that it's an offensive gift. I want you to pay close attention. Not only is it a promised gift, but the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, is an offensive gift. What do I mean? See, this one word, Emmanuel, God with us, that I keep referring to is what I would refer to as the glorious offense of the gospel. Not only is it glorious, it is also an offense. God with us, Emmanuel. There is offense and glory in that name. What are you talking about, Ashish? Be warned. Like I'm, I'm telling you, the Bible keeps talking about this over and over again. If you associate yourself with Jesus Christ, if you say you're a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ, there's a, there's a cost that comes with it. You will share in the offense and the glory of Christ. That's what Jesus told us, that you cannot separate the glory from, from offense. The message of Christianity is about a cross and a crown. Am I talking to somebody today? It's It's both. Jesus said that himself. He said, if you follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. That's what he said. It's not, if you follow me, you're going to have a better roses. You're not going to have any issues. You're not going to, no, no, no. There was offense associated. What was the offense, right? The offense was this in Matthew 1, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's an offense to the Muslim that will look at you and say, hey, he's a good man. He was a prophet. We acknowledge him. He's great. He was awesome. But he is not the son of God. He is not God. That is offensive to us. In this pantheistic world, this atheistic world, this, this world that is just accommodating for everybody's wants and needs, they will continually remind you that, that, that you don't have a place to make sure that you say that Jesus is exclusive when Jesus himself said he's exclusive. So it's going to be offensive. This would be super offensive to most of the world, cultures or religions, that God became man and had come to us. The Old Testament reminds us and reminds us very strongly and said there is only one God. There is only one God. He made a covenant with Jews and through them all of us would know him, right? All others are idols. I'm not sugarcoating anything today, right? The God of the Bible is exclusive, y'all. Has been and will always be exclusive. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will go to the Father except through. Absolutely. It's a non-negotiable. He was very clear when he said, I am God and I am the only way. And this, like I said, is offensive to the pantheistic world because the world wants everyone to be on the same page. Get along. Come on, tolerate everybody. Jesus is the only one that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. His message was an exclusive one. And because of that, this gift is an offensive gift. It's one that when you carry and you bear, and when you say God with us, it is offensive to the world around you. But man, it's, it's okay to talk about everything else. It's okay for you to talk about your favorite restaurant. It's okay to share with people what you think about a certain thing or an ice cream flavor. It's okay to tell people about the show that you're watching on Netflix. 
It's okay to recommend things to other people, but when it comes to God, that, let's not talk about that. That'll offend somebody. That's going to offend somebody. Let's not be offensive. But the birth of Jesus Christ was offensive, church. It was offensive in its truest form that nobody liked it. Nobody was okay with it. But it didn't give the excuse to you and me as Christians to keep quiet about it. Come on, we need a community of believers. We're not saying don't love the Muslim, don't love the Hindu. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, it's not we're saying don't love, love everybody, but make you stand and say it doesn't matter who I love or who I don't love. It does not matter. It always comes back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And this message that I believe, which is an exclusive message, a message that is this, this way or no way, this message is a... Is an offensive message, and I'll be proud of it. I'll be proud to hold it up high. The third point is this. It's a glorious gift. Not only is it an offensive gift, it's a glorious gift. The reason that this is the greatest gift that God has ever given is because it's glorious. See, it's important for us to never forget the glorious nature of the Christmas story. See, because there's, there's this, and the reason I say that is because there's this problem with popular stories. Like the story of Noah. Or the story of Jonah. Or the story of the parting of the Red Sea. Or David and Goliath. Or even the Christmas story. You remember when you first heard it? Back when you were in Sunday school? You were like, oh, whoa. And you were asking mom and dad about it on the drive back home. You were talking about it all day. You were studying about it. David slayed Goliath. Big giant. That's crazy. Parting of the Red Sea. That's crazy. It awed you. It was, it was amazing to you. But man, what happens is it doesn't, it loses its edge after some time. Stories have the tendency to lose its edge. It doesn't penetrate our hearts because of the familiarity. I think about it every Christmas, every time the season rolls out, and every time we enter the malls and the stores, what's playing and blaring in the speakers? Christmas music. I enjoy it. I love it. I love it when, 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 when the Christmas, it's, it's just not the, you know, deck the halls with boughs. It's, it's more to it than that. Every single time I hear, fall on your knees, oh, hear the angels' voices, or, or Christ the Savior is born, or hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Come on, this is the gospel message right here that's playing in the malls that the atheist is walking into and he's listening to, come on somebody, and I'm, I'm, this, is, this is important to me, born that, no man, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Come on, this is a glorious gospel. It is amazing, it is powerful, and this is what the world is hearing out there. Oh, come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore. Oh, come on, somebody. This is adoration to its truest form. Joy to the world. Let the earth receive their king. Oof. It's an intercessory prayer. In the malls, man, I pray that this will dive right into the hearts of people. I wish people will allow it to sink right in. I pray that we will pause and actually think about these songs that we're hearing because they're so rich in theology and it's so rich in the Advent. Let this season be an opportunity for people to see the true Jesus. When the Bible says God with us, it's more to it than just, hey, this is a baby and he's with us. It's so much more powerful than that. Man, who is Matthew referring to when he says God with us, us? Is he talking about the Jews? 
Like, is he talking about, you know, the, the, the Gentiles? Is he talking about every, is he talking about the Americans? Is he talking about sincere people? Like, is he talking about good people? I always ask that question. I was like, in a war, whose side is God on? Is he on America's side? Or is he on Afghanistan's side? You see the dilemma? Who is God committed to? He says, God with us, right? Two Christians playing a game against each other. Whose side? Both of them pray. Lord, be with us, help us win. Lord, be with us, help us win. Whose side is God on? Come on, somebody. Matthew is writing to the persecuted church. At this point in time, when Matthew is writing this, this book, he's, he's based this gospel, he's writing around the time where the church was being persecuted. Christians were actually secretly meeting in caves at this point in time. We don't understand the, the just, we, we don't understand the intensity of this because, man, we, we, we live in a very, very generous and free country. We don't understand the depth of this because the, the, what we experience is not the case for the rest of the world. What is the general questions that we ask on a Sunday morning when we wake up? What do I wear today? Let me wear a shirt that has like a hundred colors on it, right? <laughs> Let it be super distracting. Like, right? what, what are we thinking about? Like, what, what, what do we feed our kids this morning? What, what, where do we go to lunch? Come on, some of y'all are, y'all are yelping it right now as I'm preaching. Asha, you know what I'm talking about. Renny's watching. She's like ferociously hitting like Rennie on his arm. You know that's you. Some of you are like, barbecue sounds so good. Some of like, Indian sounds so good. That's what we're thinking about. Will I take a, will I take a, will I take a nap after, after, in the afternoon when I go back from church? Will I watch football? Will I take a wa nap while I watch football? Some of the guys sitting here, you're like, man, will my team make it to the playoffs, fantasy football? Y'all are praying, God, be on my side. See, if you live back then, these are not the questions that you would be asking. The question that you'd be asking is, will I get caught on my way to church? Will somebody stop me on the road and question me about my faith, about my beliefs? The question was, were you next to the cross when Jesus, are you one of them? If you are, step aside. Those were the things that people thought about the moment they stepped out to worship God. Will I get caught when we worship? Will I be dragged out of church when we worship? Will we be caught when we sneak out of service to go, you know, the back route to go home? And I can keep going on and on about the ruthless persecution. And Matthew is writing at this time, during this time of persecution. And he's saying the name given to Jesus is God with us. He says, even in the middle of this dictatorship, even in the middle of this persecution, even when these people are against us, and even though Jesus just left us, he left us with a word that says, lo and behold, I will be with you even till the end of time. He left us with a word that says, because I live, you shall also live. This was the one and only message Jesus was trying to communicate with his disciples. Guys, I am with you. I will not not leave you. I will not forsake you. I love you. This was the only message that Jesus wanted them to hear. God with you. Towards the end of this gospel, Matthew says this, and I'm closing in just a few minutes. In Matthew 28 verse 18, the Bible says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. 
He says, the great commission that we all know about, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. It is amazing how Jesus reaffirms the same message even till the very end because this is exactly what he wanted them to remember that even though I am not with you, I am still with you. The last three years of ministry, even though you thought that you were going to be all alone, the reminder to them was I'm not going to leave you. Behold, I am with you always. This is the heart of the gospel. The presence of God that created the heavens and the earth is with us. Like imagine inviting somebody on, you know, to church on a Sunday back then and saying, guys, we're, you want to come to church with me? We worship in a cave. Like we're, we're scared out of our, our lives to go and worship together. Like we don't have coffee. We don't have donuts. We don't have people welcoming you at the entrance. We don't have signs or flags outside to direct you. There's no parking lot. We are literally scared for our lives every time we come together and say the name of Jesus. And this is what we got to pause and think about today. See, the thing is that we have to ask ourselves, if God is with us, what part of the Great Commission are we not able to fulfill? Why are we not baptizing people like we should? Why are we not sharing the gospel with our coworkers like we should? Why are we ashamed to stand in front of adversity and still hold the offensive gospel so close to our hearts and say, say I am unashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what historians will actually say? Worship team, y'all can get ready. Historians will actually say this. Bible, writer, Bible historians say that when, you know the martyrs, martyrs back in the day when, when they died, the disciples, the apostles, when they died, they would say, Emmanuel, God with us. See, because when they died, they were not pulled privately indoors where no one saw them and they were not persecuted there. They were persecuted in the sight of everybody. It was a public spectacle of sorts. So they would parade them and they would put them out in the open. And as these guys were being killed and as these martyrs were being killed, they would shout some of the last words that would come out of their mouth would be Emmanuel, 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 God with us, God with us, God with us. The last breath, historians would always say that to the last breath, they would always say Emmanuel, God with us. You know what that meant? When Luke was hung to death, Luke was basically saying, God with us. His last dying breath was God with us. When Mark, when his bones were crushed as he was dragged by horses down the street, you know what his last words were? Even when he couldn't breathe, Luke was probably saying, Emmanuel, 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 God with us. As Matthew bled out when he had a sword pierced up his body, guess what he was probably saying? God with me. God with me. The same God that is with me is a God that is with you. His name is Emmanuel. Do not give up. As James was thrown down a mountain, toppled over, James was probably screaming on top of his lungs. He was saying, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, because if they were willing to lay down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ until their last dying breath, their mission was to let every person know that the message of the advent is not that the baby was born, but the message of the gospel is that God is with us. He is with us. He is with us. 
Bartholomew was whipped to death, he probably gasped for air when he said, God with us. When Andrew was okay with being crucified, he probably on the cross was declaring that God was with them. When Thomas was speared in India, he was probably saying, God with us. When Jude stood in front of a squad of archers and had arrows pierced right through his body, he was probably declaring that God was with him in the middle of that persecution. When Matthias was stoned and beheaded, he was declaring God was with him. And when Paul was tortured and then beheaded, he was probably declaring, God is with me. He will never leave me. And to motivate the other people, to motivate the other Christians that the Romans, the other Jews would actually bring along the audience to warn them that if they did the same thing as they did, they would be dealt with in the same way. Come on, so are you, am I talking to somebody? This was a public spectacle because they wanted to threaten people around. But this message that each one of them was conveying was, guys, don't give up. It doesn't matter. In the middle of persecution, the Christian will always stand and say, we will not give up. We will always stand with a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, God has been with us. He will be with us and he will always continue to be with us. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.